Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the latest instalment of the Gelsnet Weekly Podcast. My name is Craig Gray, and I'm joined tonight by Stuart Weir and Chris Jack. Um, it's been a decent weekend, actually, for Rangers for once. We're actually talking about a Rangers win, which is a wee bit rare. Um, but just before we start um, going into the um, the actual pod itself, just going through the normal um, introductions, of course, this is the Gelsnet podcast, the independent Rangers podcast made for fans, by fans, and all content is free. Um, you can get us over at www.gelsnet.co.uk, um, where you can also have a wee look at our forum. It's a brand new website as well, it's just been done up, and um, you can go in there and have um, a little look at things um, if you fancy getting involved. Um, and another um, quick message from our sponsors as well before we get started, and that is um, firstly from Forest Precision Engineering, who are a subcontract Glasgow-based engineering company. They've been a big commercial supporter of Rangers for many years, and we're honoured that they're backing our podcast. You can get them over at www.forestprecisioneng.com. And you can also visit the Forest Precision Executive Lounge. That's a stunning new hospitality area within the historic main stand at Ibrox. And for more information on how to book this unique and intimate space, you can email the club via hospitality at rangers.co.uk. Um, so, yeah, as we say, joined tonight by Stuart Wayne and Chris Jack. Chris, I think this is uh, the first time that you've been on with myself. So, um, how are you doing this Sunday? It's good to finally be acquainted with you. Uh, not too bad at all, not too bad. And as you said in intro there, Craig, nice to be talking about a Rangers win and a good performance. So uh, the last couple of times I've been on, it's not been the it's not been the best of subject matter. So uh, looking forward to this one. No, absolutely. And also joining Chris tonight is our uh, resident bingo player, Mr. Stuart Weir. How are you doing today, Stuart? I'm doing well, yes. It's nice to be on with uh, with Chris again after a great many years. And, um, well, he might be heartened by the Rangers' performance and quite gleeful at a 4-1 victory. I'll soon put a stop to all that hilarity. Well, I tell you what, the challenge is set then. Tonight we're going to try and get Stuart to be positive and smile by the end of the pod. And then hopefully <laughs> hopefully we can get that done. But um, I will just start on the game then. The positives, obviously, a 4-1 win against Aberdeen. It's, it's very good. Um, Chris, I'll start with you. I think the best thing about that for me was the character that those players showed. I thought the, the performance pretty much from the off was good. I thought the Aberdeen goal came against um, the run of play and I'm just glad that the players continued to, to do what they'd done at the start of the game and, and eventually got the goals to, to get the result. I think there would have been a fair few around about Ibrox yesterday who, when Aberdeen scored, would have been fearing the worst about just how that team was going to react. I've been seeing them concede goals in clusters, um, certainly in the European games. Ibrox was a wee bit tetchy before that yesterday, as I created a couple of chances, hadn't taken them. When Aberdeen then scored, it was a real test of were the fans going to stick with the team and were the team going to be able to handle that, handle that pressure. I thought the crowd did stick with them really well and you can't argue with the response that the team put in. Thoroughly deserved uh, to have gone ahead at half-time and the second half, from an Aberdeen perspective, much like large swathes, the first half actually was a non-event. And Jim Goodwin spoke last week about going and being confident and now their players being able to handle the atmosphere and handle the challenge. Really disappointed with what Aberdeen brought to the game yesterday. Didn't offer a lot at all, uh, but take nothing away from a really fine Rangers performance. 4-1, more than merited. And the only gripe that I've got, well, two, two really... A really poor goal to lose from a defensive point of view and going forward, I think 4-1 probably wasn't a fair result in terms of the, uh, the dominance that they had if it finished 5 or 6. I don't think that would have been uh, completely uh, out of the question. 
No, absolutely. And um, Stuart, obviously that goal that we conceded early on was was pretty poor. I thought I thought King was turned by the the forward quite easily. I mean, I know he has eighteen, but. Um, he is in the team now, so you know he needs to be open to a wee bit of criticism, unfortunately. But he did recover, I thought, um, in the second half as well. He made a couple of great challenges, so that that's good for him as well. But um, it was a poor goal to concede, wasn't it? It was. Um, just to reiterate what Chris said, there, I think there were two positive main positives. One would be the fact that Rangers turned in the performance after uh, another midweek debacle in Europe. And also the way they recover from losing a goal, as Chris rightly says, there have been times this season where Rangers have teetered on collapse after losing a goal. And the way they responded to that, I thought was encouraging. Uh, the goal itself, absolutely right in what you're saying about um, you know defensive lapses and the like. Um, I did like the way that um, the captain, uh, James Tavernier, uh, basically appealed to the referee that it had been a dive rather than playing to the whistle and trying to clear the ball or at least get a block in. And that was very generous of him. Um, and and again, I think it's, uh, if you watch uh, Alan McGregor, I think he dies about five times for invisible shots before the ball ends up in the net. But, um, you know, again, a, a, a poor goal to lose, but it's, if anything, it inspired... Um, Rangers want to bigger and better things. I also wondered if it almost gave Aberdeen an air of false confidence that their manager had talked them up and here they were leading in Glasgow and leading the Ibrox and beating Rangers 1-0. Um, you know, the celebrations from Jim Goodwin on the touchline was something akin to used to see from Alex Ferguson when they were winning, um, you know, big matches in Europe. Um, maybe get a wee bit overboard and a wee bit hasty on the celebrations, but all in all, a great Rangers response. No, absolutely. And I mean, Chris, in the, in the, the press room yesterday after the game, I remember an Aberdeen player, I can't actually remember for the life of me who it was, unfortunately, but he was asked, I think, you know, did that Lundstrom go on half-time, kind of, you know, Kill their, kill their spirits going into half time and he turned around and said yes it did and I mean I, I was saying to the people next to me I went it would be so disheartening if we went into you know this second half you know drawn one each and then lo and behold that must have been the you know the, the good fortune to, to go and get the goal Jim Goodwin I think said after the game that you know despite obviously being in a downer losing the goal right at the end of the first half that they still have positive chats but I think it was quite clear from the, the Aberdeen players' sort of response in the second half and from what the guy actually said that that, that goal in half-time absolutely killed him going into the second half. I, I, at no point after the after half-time did I think the Aberdeen were going to come back in and do anything that was really going to upset Rangers. Once once they got their noses in front, there was only going to be, only going to be one winner from there on. Um, I can't really remember Aberdeen having that many chances at all in the... In the second half, really almost getting up the pitch. It was pretty much okay, one-way traffic. Um, actually, if, if Tav scores the penalty, that adds another shine to the to score line as well. But I think Jim Goodwin was fairly honest. He said, "Look, the the game, you're almost damned if you damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you sit in and you beat people, say, well, Rangers were there for the taking. Why didn't you have a go? If you come and you try and be positive." Um, and Rangers then pick you off. You say, "Well, you, you should have sat in and tried to frustrate them." Um, it's, it's pretty much a no-win if if our German men regards. But I don't think Aberdeen offered the level of performance that he would have been expecting from them. 
Um, but as I said, take nothing away from from Rangers because that was certainly the, the best performance of the season. Uh, and coming a week after the Levy, Chambles, debacle, whoever you want to, to phrase it, it was certainly a lot more positive. No, absolutely. And I mean, speaking of sort of best performances of the season, John Lindstrom, Stuart obviously got the goal. I thought he was the man of the match, in my opinion. I think it was good to see him play in a more advanced area. Um, with James Sands behind him, who, who I thought done really well as well. He was quite cool, calm and collected, um, kind of sweeping up things in the middle of the pitch in the first half anyway before they get they get moved into defence. How how pleased were you with Winston's performance and is he someone you would like to see play more of a, a number eight going forward as opposed to a, a six? I, th- I, I think he's um, I think he's very capable of that. I think actually Lundstrom is one of these guys who is almost a victim of just what a good player he, he actually is um, and that often he's, he's put into positions that he might not necessarily want to play but still gives a good account of himself and I thought yesterday he he, he performed really well N- not just as an individual but I thought as a team player as well he was always willing to take a pass always willing to make a run um, and all, you know and, look, and looking for his teammates um if they were if they were open or, or trying to create something. I thought it was a really good performance. Just on the in the in the second goal there, I thought the I thought the awareness of Rangers um at the second goal was was something that was was nice to see because there are too many times again it would have been like a chance missed with people standing around holding their heads. Whereas they kept the ball alive, hence the reason why Lundstrom was was um, given a a tap in, and you know again to to side with what Chris was saying. For me, the second half was basically you're left to admire the Aberdeen away kit and and say that's one of their better kits of late. And answer the question: Why the hell do Aberdeen need an away kit? when I've never never once left either Pataudry or Hamden or Ibrox or even Celtic Park, scratch my head, think to myself, that was a bad colour clash there between those two kits. It really left me confused. Uh, it's probably just a way to try and uh, get a wee cheap plug at their away kit that I would imagine um, sells out pretty well um, up there. But um, continuing on the sort of Lundstrom theme, Chris, um, one thing that I took away from his press conference was um, talking about you know um, the recent you know bad form and bad results etc etc and, and one thing that really stood out to me was when he talked about the players taking individual and collective responsibility um, and he said words to the effect I'm, I, you know I'm I'm paraphrasing here but basically that the manager puts in a lot of work um, on the training ground etc etc um, and it seemed according to him that the players just hadn't been going out there and actually um, delivering on that. I mean, there has been a sort of, you know, what's, what is the issue at Rangers, you know? Because people are saying, surely Gio's not telling them to go out and play play poorly every week. It's maybe the players' individual responsibility. And I think with these group of players, we've seen in the past how sometimes they can't take individual responsibility at certain times, and other times they can. I think it's, it's quite surreal that this sort of core group of Rangers players have probably given supporters two of the best moments of their lives in terms of getting to Seville and also the 55th League Championship but the amount of times that those players crumble as well, it's 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 unbelievable it's, it's either the biggest of highs or the lowest of lows so what, what did you make about um, about his comments in that regard? 
I thought his performance in the press conference was almost as impressive as his performance on the park. I would give him a good solid 8 out of 10 for his 90 minutes and a good solid 8 out of 10 for his, his presser as well. Uh, I spoke for about 9-10 minutes and I think you can tell when John's in that type of mood and he speaks like that, you get a, a glimpse of what he must be like on the training pitch, what he must be like in the, in the changing room. He is one of the guys that you, you think will be a real rallying figure, it will be a real leader. Um, so I thought he spoke. Thought he spoke really well. Addressed addressed all the issues. Didn't shirk the uh, the crumble against Napoli at Ibrox or, or against Liverpool. And um, didn't shirk how, how poor they were against Libya last weekend. Um, and I think if Rangers are going to turn turn this around and are going to get the wins before the break, and then uh, now we'll wait and see what happens after that. You're going to need someone like John Lundstrom to really start like, grabbing people with a scruff of the neck and, and really keep pulling them along with them. Um, I thought it was a really, it's a really good performance on and off the pitch for him yesterday. Um, and at a time when you're looking at character and you're looking for doing doing the basics in terms of working hard, covering ground, winning your tackles, but showing showing that you care, showing that no, this actually means something to you. I thought he ticked all the boxes yesterday. But just to, just to, just to pick up and sorry, just to pick up and what Chris is saying there. Um, after the season he had, you know, last term, I, I did wonder whether this was some kind of hangover from last season that Lundstrom mm. was having. It took him a long while to actually kick in again. We all saw last season what you know what a, a, a great player he was, and also um, you know a great leader. Maybe the guy without the armband, but certainly a guy who drove and, and spurred other people um, on. You know, you hop back to the cup final. And um, the 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 tackle that Wright put in in the final couple of minutes against Hearts, and the the, the way that Lundstrom drove, you know, celebrated a, a tackle, showed you that he was, you know, definitely playing with the heart, but but also was really committed. And and it's taking him a bit of time um, to get going. Hopefully, he can keep this form, you know, going up until the World Cup. Maybe even rest up. You know, it's going to be interesting. Maybe Chris will allude to what maybe Rangers' plans are during the World Cup, um, because I know other teams are maybe giving the guys another, you know, two weeks off and then starting almost like by like a, a kind of pre-season again. Um, but I, I hope that he manages to continue, you know, where he's now picked up on compared, you know, from last season, rather than tailing off again. No, absolutely. I mean. Um, if you do then, Chris, do, do you have any updates actually just on it, on, on what sort of the plans are for that mini pre-season as you were going into the World Cup for, for Rangers? Uh, no, nothing uh, nothing being confirmed as yet. No, there's talk of uh, Florida and uh, going to America uh, a couple of weeks ago. That, uh, that got knocked down, unfortunately, because having covered the, the Florida uh, Cup there a couple of seasons ago, I was well up for a return, but <laughs> it's, off, it's, off, it's off the cards, unfortunately. So if, if it's Blackpool, it'll just need to make do. But uh, no, there's no uh, there's no update on it yet, but honestly, we're not, not that far away from it now. So hopefully the next, uh, next couple of weeks, we'll be able to find out exactly what the, exactly what the plans are. Uh, no, no trip to Harry Potter world for you this year, eh? but um, speak, speaking of the World Cup, that, that moved me sort of nicely into my next point. Um, in terms of injuries, um, I mean, the new catchphrase for Giovanni Van Bronckhorst nowadays seems to be after the World Cup, after the World Cup. Obviously, Yilmaz came off injured, um, I think, 
the manager confirmed that it was his hamstring. And then he said to me about for a couple of weeks. So I was kind of a wee bit like, oh, because I thought normally if you get a ham, uh, you do your hamstring, you're out for a, a bit longer than a couple of weeks. But obviously it's something that they're going to have to assess. I mean, Stuart, um, I know you are um, talking about your um, your negative stance on a lot of things at the moment. Um, in terms of the injuries, it's clearly a massive issue. Um the thing that really concerns me about it is not not so much the guys like Ruth and Sutter who we know have got injury issues. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. But in the manager's time that he's been here, you've got guys in Haji, Morelos and now Goldson who are all key players and have or are currently having extended periods on the sideline who have never actually had any injury issues before. I know Goldson had his heart issues and whatnot, but since he's been at Rangers, he's not... He's not had any injuries. I mean, do you think it's bad luck or, or is there something maybe going on in the background that, that we don't know about that's causing all these injuries? Yeah, in the case of Souter and Roof, I think their dogs are about ready for having them put down. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, they're, they're like walking, permanent walking wounded. Uh, and you, you sometimes get players like that. You know, listen, being injured as a footballer is an occupational hazard. I think if you spoke to any footballer, and Chris will have done this at length with a number of footballers, footballers always keep their cars very close to their, shit, their, their chest, but if you actually ask them how fit they actually were, and they would actually rhyme off a number of ailments that they were playing through, and some people play through that, and other people you know, for want of a better description, need a nurse in the shawl or at least need a, a, a couple of sessions with the with the physio. I mean, guys with, you know, bruised toes and, and bruised shins and, and muscle tweaks and all the rest of it. it, it it's part and parcel of, of what being a professional footballer is. I think the case of, like say, Goldson and, and Hadji, that's that's just bad bad luck, and and, and anybody can get injured at any time. Mm. I, I think it's down to the 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 psychology of or of of players and how they deal with that. You know, I remember years ago speaking to the likes of Richard Goff, who everybody said, "Oh, what a stalwart it was for Rangers," and he was. But there were times where he had long periods off through injuries and and various things. Stuart McCall as well had a, a you know a couple of periods off. But what they did was basically use that psychologically. Okay, we're injured just now, but it's given us a rest we wouldn't normally have at this time of the season, and we'll come back feeling better. And and then again, we'll just add this time on to the end of their, their, their careers. That was their mindset. And lo and behold, the two of them played until they were you know they were forty. So I, I think a lot of it's down to your 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 mindset and your psychology, and and just what you want to get out of football. The Goldson one, you know, it came at a, a, a bad time. Um, Hadji, everybody's hoping that he gets back to, to normal. And I really feel for guys that are actually, you know, that pick up injuries so easily because you, you know they're not doing it deliberately and they would really like to make their mark. I think that especially applies to Suter, who I don't think anybody's seen anything like what they should have seen from him. If you remember back to the cup final, I thought he was a real stalwart, a real warrior for Hearts in that game. And and you were looking for him to kick on from that. It hasn't happened. But I I, I don't think there should be any court of inquiry into the, the training methods or the, the, the physical uh, nature of the Rangers players quite yet. I just think it's something that happens in football. 
Yeah, I mean, you're right there about Suter's performance in the cup final. As, as my pal said, he, he called him the magnet that day because basically the ball just stuck to his head. They just got just got on it every time. I mean, Chris, it's a real shame for Yilmaz as well because obviously we know the sort of slow start that he had in terms of maybe settling into to Glasgow. Um, clearly a talented player. I think any time he's been on the pitch, he's, he's done well. The guy, the ball seems to stick to his feet. Like and it's it, it, like his close control. I think for a fullback is is exceptional. Um, and obviously, I, I didn't see the game on Wednesday, unfortunately. But by all accounts, he was probably the man of well, our man of the match anyway. Um, and he was getting into a wee bit of run of form. And then after seven minutes, he's off again. I mean, what what bad luck for him, isn't it? He could as soon as he went down and he made the he made the signal to the bench. Everybody knew his afternoon was done, and he just heard the the groan round about Ibrox off. Oh, there's not another one, but also not another one who we're really keen to actually see what he can do. As somebody who has come to the has come to the club, has taken a while to settle in, been a lot of talk about him, why he's not been in the team, where he's been valued for money. This was his chance on the back of a good show in, in Napoli. Uh, now this was his chance to really assert himself domestically, probably even play every game up until the up until the break and then really kick on in the in the second half of the season. And as you say, after after seven minutes, after starting the game well, that's him done. I would be surprised if he's back in a fortnight, given the way that he, he went down, signal straight away, and then hobbled round the pitch. Um, I saw the manager give him a, a kind of brace and a word in his ear on his, his way down the tunnel as well. So I'd be surprised if he's back in a couple of weeks. He's you're probably looking after the after World Cup break, as you, as you said earlier on, Craig. So ho- hopefully it's not any more serious than that. Um, and we can then get him back in the team, get him back fresh. He will be refreshed, as, as Stuart said. He might actually just need that that wee break mentally. It's, it's another few weeks to settle into Glasgow, get used to uh, the team, um, get used to the city, uh, get used to the Scottish winters as well. Um, so hopefully after the after the break, we can really see the really see the best of him. Because I think in the the times that we have seen him. You can tell there is something there. It's just about getting that out of him now and then really seeing what he, what he can do for a, for a longer run. Do you see him being a, the, the, the backup to Barisic or the challenger to Barisic? I think he's probably the replacement for Barisic as an arm. Mm. Uh, he's, he's a different, certainly a different type of fullback. Um, he's not the get down the wings, sling across in and uh, trying to get somebody on the end of it. He's, he's more involved in the build-up. Uh, I think he's, he's passing, certainly short-range passing in terms of uh, getting into the striker or getting into the midfield and then he's, he's moving on. I think I think that is better than Borna. Um, and as we know, Barisic does suffer from confidence crises he's every Every fortnight or so, it seems so. Uh, say every 40 minutes. <laughs> he might, again, Barisic might see this now as well. I've, I've got the jersey for the next three weeks. It's now my turn to kick on and my turn to do show what I can do. So I don't think it's a bad thing having two two good fullbacks. Because um, on the other side, we've obviously got one who is either injured or out of form at, at present uh, with no not with no backup. So um, not losing Yamaz is certainly a is certainly a blow. I have I have wondered if. Yilmaz, because the type of player he is, whether this is a how can I how can I put it, almost like a a, a dick advocate signing, in as much as this is the kind of bit of the jigsaw that Giovanni van Bronckhorst needs because he wants to actually set Rangers up differently from how they play just now. You know whether they're going to be more wing back orientated as opposed to having guys that might fill in with that position. Whether this is a definite 
switch or a definite change to suddenly play with five at the back or three at the back and and, and a, a four-man midfield and the three guys beyond that or two and one beyond that. I just wonder if this, you know, maybe Rangers and the manager are actually missing out on something more substantial than just a player not being fit. Mm-hmm. I actually agree with that. I think that that is the reason why he was brought in as well because I, I do think that Giovanni wants to play with well, either that five or three at the back and I think um, that as well allows a, likes a, a James Sands or a, or a Leon King to, to go in there when obviously everyone is fully fit um, and that can obviously help help his development as well. Um, just moving on then on to our next subject, um, someone uh, um, obviously scored uh, the fourth goal. Uh, yesterday a certain Alfredo Morelos he scored twice actually uh, the first one being ruled out um, correctly for offside then the second one um, went in I think the celebrations were a wee bit subdued because we, we'd seen what happened a couple of minutes ago and people were like well is it actually count is it actually no and then after about 45 minutes uh, Nick Walsh uh, finally gave the decision uh, and gave the goal um, Morelos Stuart, he's a he's a weird guy isn't he I mean we all we all know that but it's like his form this season's been not good. I mean, he really should be up to scratch now. And obviously, he got his goal, but I thought in general, he, he, you know, he still looks unfit. I heard on Wednesday his performance was was pretty bad as well. Cholak at the moment is on fire, not just in terms of goals, but I thought um, yesterday as well, his all-round play was was excellent. It was dropping deep. He was linking up. Now, obviously, Morelos is a lot better at doing that, but. You know, it's good if you've got a guy like like Cholak doing it as well. I mean, how how do you see Morelos sort of moving forward going with, with Rangers anyway? The um the goal that he scored was the fourth, but I think you know we we touched upon it earlier on. If it'd been five, six, seven, or eight for Rangers yesterday, I don't think anybody would have been surprised or upset by that. I, I thought they made you know so many chances. It, I think. You know, I've I've touched upon the formation that Giovanni Van Bronckhorst might want to play, and and there's a bit of me that says that he plays a a style or a, a formation that he's happy with just now because he's happy with the formation in his head. He doesn't necessarily like other managers um, would play to the strengths of the players that he's got available to him. No, you know. You go back to Walter Smith, we could talk all night about the formations that he would set Rangers up in. And always, Walter was a 4 4 2 man. Actually, there were times where Walter had some of the strangest formations and very successful formations. But if you've got two strikers who can give you goals, like Cholach and Morelos, at some point in time, for, for me anyway, I think you've really got to, to put the two of them in the team together and see if they either complement each other or can work together, because one might bring the best out in the other one, and vice versa. I think you've got to, got to do that. When you give yourself a, bit, a better chance of scoring some goals, and given the way that Rangers have performed this season at times, you're looking for goals coming from anywhere. But but I think if you've got two guys that can actually score, score goals, if they play up front themselves, they, they play that position totally different to each other. You know, Cholak will play the, the single man up front completely different to how Morelos plays it. I, I, I would like to see Morelos kicking on. I think he has this air about him. You wouldn't, you know, how would you know if he was happy at scoring or not? I'm not quite sure. 
I think he's almost given a kind of air of being demob happy for a considerable length of time since he heard that he was maybe worth 50 million quid and could do better elsewhere. You ain't worth that now. And you just wonder if he's just, just treading water just now and he's really interested in staying at Ibrox or whether he wants to whether he wants to just pack his bag and go elsewhere. As it stands just now, and because of the formation and the way that Rangers play, he is definitely second string and back up to whatever Trollach does. And how long that lasts, I'm never quite sure. Yeah, Chris, I mean, how do you see Morelos' role sort of going forward in well, the next few weeks, certainly, and then, and then moving forward on to the rest of the season? Do you think a lot of it depends on whether he does sign a new deal or not? He's saying for a few weeks now, you can't argue with Trollach's record now. He is, he's a penalty box striker. You give him a chance, he has shown that he'll score goals. At his best, Morelos is a better option because he, he harries defenders, he hustles them. He can take care of an entire back four, even at Europa League level, take care of a back four himself. Trollach right now can't, can't do that. But if Morelos is nowhere near his best, which right now he's not, he doesn't deserve to be in the team. You can't say you put him in like they have done against Liverpool or Napoli. You're, you're putting him in, hoping that that's going to be the one that sparks him and then doesn't happen. You put him in again, that'll be the one that sparks him. It doesn't happen. Eventually, you can't... I just keep giving him the give him the chances. I thought midweek, he was poor. Had a couple of chances. Also, the one that he missed from a couple of yards out, just not just has to be a goal type of chance that Cholak would have finished. He's almost playing himself out of the team and further down the peg, not further down the peg, not because there only has the two of them, but he's almost playing himself out of chances rather than coming off the bench, looking and bursting a gut or getting a start and bursting a gut and saying to the manager, right, now this is now my spot again. I don't know if he's maybe accepted the fact that he's, he's now behind Cholak for a lot of the games or if he's still not quite there fitness-wise or mentality-wise, but there's something not quite right about uh, Alfredo right now and unless he gets back to the levels that we know he's capable of, come the end of the season, it becomes trickier to say, look, it's actually worth giving him what he wants to uh, to get him to stay on. Because you know you, you can sign a new three, four-year contract and six weeks later blow up again and go off the boil for six months. And what's the mm. at, at, at that stage having happened again and again and again, he's almost at the stage of now becoming more hassle than he's worth, unfortunately. Because we know how good he can be, we know how integral he can be to the team at his best. But it's hard to see how he's actually getting back to those levels right now because one, he's not playing at that level, he's not showing the, he's not showing that he's he's getting towards that, and two, there's now a guy who deserves to be in the team ahead of him. There's a guy that's scoring goals and a guy that's doing the things that he's not. It's only it's only in the last year. The frustration is, Chris, that it's only in the last year that he's actually shown what a what a almost complete player he was. In some of those Europa League games, he was taking on some of the best defenders from the Bundesliga and giving them an absolute doing and, and, and showing everybody in terms of leading the line, holding the ball up, integrating with other, you know, um, other, other, other players, either breaking from midfield or, or going out wide. He was a complete package. And, you know, there was a wee, I saw a wee kind of uh, highlights reel of, of Morelos and what he actually did. If you picked up that DVD and you took it to any, just about any club, I would say in the English Premiership, they would have a look at that and say, oh, that guy can play. If you took the other, flipped the DVD over and played the other side of it, 
you wouldn't want them anywhere near the place. And I think that is a you know the frustration. If if Rangers fans feel that frustration, how do you think the manager must feel? And I don't think it's just Giovanni Van Bronckhorst. I think that Steven Gerrard over a, a, a period of time as well felt the same frustrations because they knew they had somebody there who could have been a real diamond, but too often he 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 just didn't shine enough. Yeah, I think um, Romero is, in my opinion, I think the writing's unfortunately on the wall for him now. Um, I think I think he will just sort of stay on at the end of the season as as kind of what he's been doing now, an option. Um, not the first choice, and I just think eventually we'll just leave at the end of the season because, as you say, Chris, you know, with the form that he's in and whatnot, um, and the condition that he's in as well, and, you know, in some state, in some part, um, places as well probable lack of professionalism at times we've got to say and if we're going to be honest um, you know the management will probably say well do you deserve a new contract probably not so I think um, his time's probably up but look he's he's had um, setbacks at Rangers before and he's proved us all wrong you know a lot of the time so you know we'll, we'll need to wait and see on that one um, so yeah but obviously on the pitch it was um, ladies and gentlemen a great performance by Rangers yesterday um, managing to get that 4-1 win um, off the pitch however uh, before the game um, I'm sure you all seen it um, the Aberdeen banner that was unveiled uh, by the fans before the game now I'm not going to be one of these guys that turns around and sits here and says oh yes I'm going to be offended by uh, words or hurty words or anything to that effect to be honest, people can call me whatever they want to call me. I don't really care. Um, what I do get offended by, however, is um, hypocrites. Um, and once again, Stuart, you know, the usual suspects, as I like to call them, your James Dormans, your Hamza Yousafs, your Michael Stewarts, um, etc., etc. Absolute radio silence on this when we know um, if it was the other way about and if it was Rangers fans unveiling a banner, a banner like that, we know exactly what their reaction would have been. Listen, you're not exactly quoting a brain's trust there, are you? <laughs> um, it's, you know, I, th- I think the, 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 the two things that disappoint me, one is that you had an absolute, you know, half a dozen, eight, ten police there, and none of them wanted to actually look to see what was what the what the crowd was reacting to or responding to. It was almost like, let's look the other way and you know, maybe somebody in the cameras will pick it up and can identify somebody. Rather rather than anybody showing any, you know, gumption or bottle or whatever you want to call it and get in and, and, and actually removing it. The other thing he used the word uh, a second ago, the hypocrisy behind all of this. Mm-hmm. Everything is it's it's double standards, and yeah. that anybody, first of all, that anybody would want to unfurl a banner like that, it just says so much to me about what they're actually like. And if it was a, if it, seriously, if it was if it was Ranger fans that were doing anything like that, I would say the exact same about that about about them. You know, has football any place for that? Not really. But you know, you just know that if if they'd unfurled that banner and you know, by chance somebody you know had a an accident on the way home, the sympathy we'd be looking for. You, you know, you, you just live up for the grace of God sort of type thing. You don't you don't fag things like that up and and come out and say things like that, make statements like that. If you're then you know, if in 
anything on the ward happens to any of your, um, you know, kicking kin or, or, or your fellow supporters, they just don't do it. I mean, to be honest, I, 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 again, as I said, it's it's like we, we live in a society where people are deeply offended, except when it comes for time for them to be deeply offended. You know, and, and yesterday was a classic example. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're absolutely right there, sure. I mean, Chris, the, the thing that I really don't understand about all this as well, apart from the, the actual incident, is more the fact why Aberdeen have just been radio silent. I mean, look, I think we all know that the people that I named earlier, at the end of the day, I, I find that hypocrites. We all know that they are going to remain silent when, it, you know, it's Rangers fans, it, sorry, when it's not Rangers fans, should I say, that are caught in these incidents. You kind of expect it from them, but Aberdeen is a club. They need to take, you know, responsibility for that as well and, you know, condemn that and also look to to see who it is that's actually causing causing those issues. I mean, some of the stuff that was coming for the Aberdeen end, I mean, I know that um, some of our chants are, are not exactly the nicest, um, to put it in a, um, a pretty um, relatively nice way. But, I mean, I actually don't think I heard one chant about Aberdeen yesterday from those fans. It was a weird one, wasn't it? Uh, Aberdeen must know who those, is it a thousand tickets or so maybe in that, in, in that corner? Aberdeen will know who, who those thousand guys are. They'll know who's on the supporters' buses. When they look at the, the CCTV and all, all the cameras that Rangers have got and all the all the police footage, they'll be able to identify those those supporters fairly quickly, you would, you would have to imagine. You would then hope they take swift and uh, proper action, take their season tickets off them, ban them from Petaudry and anyone associated with them uh, in, in the making and unfurling of that uh, particular banner should meet a similar uh, punishment. If they don't, I think they deserve to be criticised uh, fairly uh, uh, strongly for it and really condemned in that in that stance. But I would hope that they that they do the right thing as a as a football club and as a as a board. And I'd also perhaps like the Aberdeen fans, the more sensible ones and the uh, the more right thinking ones. Mm-hmm. Again, there must be guys in that in that thousand who know exactly who unfurled it. Maybe came down on the bus with them or travelled with them or came in the train with them. Uh, we're not at trains yesterday because uh, the government can't put trains on these days. Um, but the oh, political. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, 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 uh, there must be Aberdeen fans who know exactly who unfurled that banner and f- f- just go and flag it up. Say, take take the moral high ground. Do do the right thing. And I say, hopefully Aberdeen can then take the they can take the right action against them. I support you fully in everything that you're saying there, Chris, and I'd like to think they would do it. But you know. I mean, they're such a parochial outfit and club and, and their, their, their mindset and their thinking is such that if that involved 50 people that they took season tickets off or took tickets off, that'd be 50 people they wouldn't get through their turnstiles. You know, and a club like Aberdeen, you know, who are, who are always saying, oh, we've got a great support. Can they really afford to take 50 people out of their numbers? I, I, I don't think so, actually. But the fact is, you're looking for them to make some kind of stance. And if, if they, they maintain radio silence over the next couple of days, you really have to question the ownership and the people who are actually running Aberdeen Football Club. Because if they're quite willing to accept that into their, their ranks, or people like that into their ranks, they'll just about accept anything. No, exactly. I think as, as well, Stuart, I mean, this... In the cold light of day, that, that banner's pretty much a hate crime when you're thinking about it because you're, you're inciting violence against a group of people. 
you know what I mean? So, I mean, I think for that as well, it's like people, and I've seen a lot the last couple of days, you know, sort of Celtic, mostly Celtic fans that will say the use of that word that's not sectarian, it's not bigoted, etc., etc. The Scottish government have came out and said with unequivocal, you know, like unequivocal, un unequivocal selective amnesia. That's the well, phrase that you're looking that for. That's that the phrase you're looking true. for. They, they will come out and criticise and condemn and point the fickle finger of fate at other people. Mm -hmm. they, they are loath to do it at certain times because they know, and, and I, I will say it, they know that there are certain elements of their key voters yeah. will, will boycott and rebel against anybody trying to take them to task over it. And so many of these decisions are not based on, you know, as Chris says, the moral high ground or any kind of morals. They're based totally and solely on political angles. And that is totally wrong. You either, you either, you know, you either work to the rule of law or you don't and just leave it as a free-for-all. And trust me, if it was a free-for-all, there'd be some Aberdeen fans and then people at other clubs would be in tears by now by some of the things that could have been said. No, I think you're absolutely spot on there, Stuart. Um, but yes, we'll, we'll try and get Scott away from that now and try and uh, earn um, on the most... I was enjoying of, uh, that. No, let's continue. 1985, no, well, that's in fairness, right? That, that's what I was saying. But it, it's like Rangers fans. It seems nowadays are fair game. Now, look, I've I'm 25, right? I've grown up since 2007. The last 15 years, I've basically grew up my my school life and now my 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 sort of start of my adult working life under an SNP government. And it seemed like that whole time, Rangers fans are fair game for anything, you know. And you know, I'm not sitting here saying, oh, it's right to say stuff about Celtic fans or whatever. It's not right to say bad stuff about anyone, no one's saying that it's it's a lack of consistency and as I said, the rank hypocrisy from from certain people and as you say Stuart, I mean there's, you know it's, it's the core vote and that's why you know, certain political parties need to sort of pander to these people because you know, if they don't do that then um, they're not going to get those votes but that's the thing, because to me it seems again it's always just Rangers fans are fair game for this sort of stuff I think oh, I can understand why Rangers fans feel Okay, victimised. I feel that they get the they get the raw end of the uh, stick and raw end of the deal here because uh, there's there's been enough examples now of things that uh, Rangers fans that have done that have attracted widespread political and uh, uh, condemnation from pundits and um, things that have then been done not not to Rangers fans or or uh, things that if, if there should be in their foot, you know that it would have been it would have been a very different. Uh, very different outcomes or the next I said earlier on, I think the next couple of days will be very telling in terms of what comment that there that is, what condemnation that there is for that for that banner, um, and also what action is, is taken over. I certainly hope that there's uh, police action involved at the at the very, very least. No, absolutely. And uh, we will we will move on now um and give you a message from another one of our wonderful sponsors, and that is Zenith Coins, um, who are the official Rangers Club coin copy. Each gold-plated coin has a unique serial number engraved on the outer rim and it comes complete with a Rangers presentation box and certificate of authenticity. You can join Rangers legends and famous Rangers fans like Alan McCoy, Derek Johnson, Marvin Andrews, Tom Stoltman. 
Gordon Ramsay to name just a few our own, your own official Rangers Club coin and the best part we know is you can get a wee bit of money off as well simply by using the code GN10 to get 10% off that is the code GN10 um, just before we move on to um, a preview of the Ajax game on Tuesday just wanted to ask um, Chris about um, the sort of Rumours of a potential takeover by um, Kyle Fox, just when while we've got you on. Um, I know you did an article, um, I think it was about a week, couple of weeks ago or so, about um, the legal action that was dropped. I mean, uh, to be honest, I'm not actually uh, totally clued up on this situation. So is, is there anything that you can maybe divulge in terms of what, what the background to this is and, and what could be happening? Uh Background to it is uh, Kyle Fox is an American businesswoman who, through a meeting with Paul Murray and Adrian Bevington, um, wanted to make a, an offer for a sizable shareholding in, in Rangers. Um, she met with John Bennett and put a proposal to Rangers. The Rangers board decided at that time that it wasn't for them. She then came back with a different offer um, and the Rangers board again decided that it wasn't for them. Uh, legal action was then commenced in America um, basically to stop her using Rangers IP um, and like branding and logos and stuff, obviously, because uh, they, they saw that she was using the, uh, the club inventory to, to try and attract investment. That legal action came to an end, I think it was a fortnight ago that I had the had a story on that one, um, and Rangers are content with their position. They say that they took the they took the action to basically bring not bring this case to a halt to prevent uh, Kyle Fox from uh, from using their IP in this in this way. Um, it's been an expensive process for them because obviously lawyers and American lawyers don't don't come cheap, um, but they are they're content with how the process has has evolved. If Kyle Fox wants to buy shares in Rangers, she knows who the Rangers shareholders are. I don't see her ever owning Rangers, put it that way. I don't think you'll find uh, a majority of Rangers shareholders willing to sell to an American businesswoman talking about crypto investment and uh, trying to expand the digital side of the club. It's it's, it's uh, alarm bells are ringing over how, over how that would go for Rangers. So I don't think it'll go any further, um, I'd be surprised if it does, and I don't think it's one that Rangers fans need to be they need to be worried about. The the the, the legal action expensive, you know, and you're absolutely right, Chris. I mean, American lawyers charge like wounded rhinos. Um, in 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 terms of you know, they basically got a, a like a a fair machine out a taxi at the end of their desk, and they just hit the buttons. I mean. It, it was a cease and desist, as it's known as. Um, and if we've been doing our jobs right over the years, we've all had one. But it was, in effect, stop. It was a legal way of saying you stop that or else. Um, and and I'm, you know, I completely agree with everything that Chris has said, and he's 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 all over this one. He's never going to be somebody who's going to come forward with a big swag bag and say. I am taking over this club. We know how these things happen. Somebody invests in the club, might buy a bigger stakeholding. But from from you having a, a sizable shareholding in a football club to actual completing ownership of it, it it's a, a long process. And it's also a process you need to be committed to. And I don't think there's anybody in the wings there. You know, I think I, 
personally know the last person that was willing to do that. And basically, once he started, uh, or his uh, legal people started tapping into the amount of people that had shares in Rangers, I think within a week, he had turned around and said, no, not for me, and has never been seen since. So, I, I, you know, I, I think it's maybe somebody that wants to invest, but what they're investing in, they, believe me, anybody that, that, that comes into Rangers are not investing because of the betterment of Rangers Football Club. They are investing because they want to make money out of it at the other end, whether that's by improving their, their, their stock and shares and, and increasing the price of them, uh, or to sell to somebody else later further further down the road. No, definitely. And, uh, thanks very much for that update, Chris. Um, we'll definitely see um, how that one will evolve in the future. Um, so, yeah, we do have um, a game on Tuesday to talk about. Ajax in the Champions League. It's the last group game of um, probably the worst European campaign I've ever experienced. And I, I think that's probably the same for every single Rangers fan. I mean, I'm trying to think of a worse one, probably the 0-9-10 campaign. Um, will we get beat 4-1 off Dan Petrescu's Unirea Urzicene? Um, and a lot I had that penicillin. Penicillin will clear it up. Seriously, that's, that's... Oh, it was um, it was that was a poor one. But um, no, I mean, Stuart, I, I remember when we were on a couple of weeks ago. You were saying that in terms of Rangers Champions League campaign, it just seemed that you know the, the end game for Rangers was to get in the Champions League, and that was that. I mean, look. At the end of the day, you're playing a game against, uh, you know, certainly a massive, massive name in football. For me, we need to go out there, give it, give it your best shot, try and not have this hoodoo of the worst group stage record hanging over us. But also as well, if you get a win, you get 2.8 million quid in the bank as well. So that's got to be, um, got to do it for them as well. Yeah, it's not a bad character dangling in front of somebody, yeah. is it? Um, the, 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 the most bizarre aspect of all of this and I, I'm, I'm sure that Chris has thought this as well is that despite the absolutely rank rotten performances of Rangers during this Champion League campaign they're going to Tuesday night knowing that there's a, a real outside chance a real outside chance that if they if they beat Ajax 5-0 they would actually qualify for the Europa League now You'd have to say to yourself, nothing could be further from your thoughts, but it's still a mathematical possibility. Listen, uh, off the top of my head, I think Rangers have won, won once 5 0 at Ibrox in a Champions League match, maybe against Stroom Grats yeah. 20, mm, 21, 22 years ago. But anyway, as by the by, I, I, you know, I, I said that there were. Rangers' performance level was such that it made it look as if they had achieved something just by qualifying. And they put in, don't forget, they put in a really good performance over two legs to see off PSV Eindhoven. You only need to look at PSV Eindhoven and see what they're doing in the Europa League to understand that they were a very good team. But it was almost like job done with Rangers, down tools, let's concentrate on something else. For, for me... As somebody who would go and watch European football, you, you want the draw to do one of two things. You either want a draw that's full of superstars, and I think the Rangers have got that in terms of Liverpool and Napoli and Ajax, because you'd want to pay money to go and see these teams because they're good teams. Liverpool would probably be the biggest draw, but ultimately I would say 
that people will be most impressed with what Napoli have done in this. Or you want uh, a group where you've got a chance to actually qualify out of it. Now, the chances of that, I have to say, are slim in itself. So you might as well take the biggest fish that are swimming about there. And I don't think there's many. I mean, I think if you were hand-picking your so-called group of death, I think Napoli, Liverpool and Ajax might be the three teams that you would, you know, bag out of that. Rangers can still win this game and it financially it's beneficial and, and also it, it gives them back a wee bit of pride. But we, in, in terms of, and I say we in terms of Scottish football in general, have looked so far off the pace and so far out of European competition compared to others. It is, for me, it is worrying exactly what we are serving up domestically given the performance levels of our clubs in the Premier competition, the Champions League, and in, you know, in the, the Gala Day tournament or whatever one it was Hearts qualified for. I mean, it is, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's actually quite, it's quite frightening that, you know, so far between them, the old firm have played, um, you know, how many games is that? 10 yeah. matches, 10 matches and have two points. Yeah, I mean that in itself is damning and I know people say oh look at Rangers they could have the worst ever listen in general and if you encapsulate Scottish football it's a damning indictment of where Scottish football actually is currently yeah I think you make a few good points I think the funniest thing about all this for me is the fact that you know uh, <laughs> Celtic have had, a, I would say, a much easier group than Rangers. We all remember how they were saying that Leipzig were a, a bad team in May. Now, all of a sudden, they're world beaters after uh, you know, they put five past Celtic over two legs. But the fact that, despite Rangers being absolutely terrible in this group, Rangers technically are still in Europe and Celtic aren't going into the last, going into the last game. But, um, Chris, in terms of um, the campaign as a whole... I'm looking back now and I'm thinking, because of how poor I actually performed in this group, you're thinking, well, maybe if we took a point in one of those other games, you know, the Napoli game, the Liverpool game, all we have to do is go and win that game 1-0 on Tuesday and we're in the Europa League. Do you think there might be an element of, of regret going into that now? Like at the start of the section, Ajax at Ibrox last game looked like, now that's a real all or nothing 90 minutes, not quite for the reasons of trying to avoid becoming the worst ever Champions League group stage team right enough not quite how we saw the, uh, the group unfolding, I think there will be a real regret that if if when you look at moments like the Sands red card against, against Napoli, if that hadn't happened, could there maybe have taken something from that one Liverpool at Ibrox was always going to be tough but in the manner of the collapse is also hard to take even going back to that first game, collapsing in, in Amsterdam, if they'd only gone down a battling, really solid performance, but nobody lost, they might have lost a 1-0 or 2-0 over there, the task isn't really impossible going to Ibrox, trying to win 5-0 in your last game, even though Ajax are, are in the position they are, it's just, it's not going to happen. I'd be amazed if it, I'd be amazed if it does. I think there's a chance Rangers can win the game, and as you said, there's, there's plenty at stake in terms of a, a bit of pride, and more than a bit of prize money, so it's a dead rubber in terms of the group, a dead rubber in terms of European qualification, unfortunately, but there's still a lot uh, at stake for, uh, for Rangers on Tuesday night, and on the back of Aberdeen, it would just be another re-sign of momentum, potentially building 
we can't really be one step forward and another big step back because that, that's all European games have been. When there's been any any glimmer of hope, like going to Tynecastle, it's in forward by a sore one in Europe and it's the team aren't really getting anywhere. The manager's not getting anywhere. It could really do with something on Tuesday night. Keep everybody on side, keep things ticking over and then go and take care of these uh, last three games before the, uh, before the World Cup. That, that yeah. game, the, the first game up against Ajax, yeah, you're, you're, you're bang on the money there, there, Chris. That was a game where if you were one down or two down even, you just basically board up the windows, bring the shutters down, plant a minefield, you know, about 25 yards from your goal and, and take a 2 nothing beating. It was a slight, I mean, it was a sliding doors moment in the Napoli game. That, that whole tie revolved around the the Sands red card and the penalty that that fought. it was a double. I mean, it was a, it was a real double whammy. But that, in effect, and you, you just knew it that minute. And I, you know, and I said so to my, you know, I, I said so on in, on Talk Sport that recovery from that would be almost nigh impossible because of the way the matches then panned out. Rangers were, I, I could never see Rangers getting anything out of the so-called Battle of Britain matches against Liverpool. You know, everybody goes, oh, Liverpool were amazing at, um, at Ibrooks. There, there was a bit in that second half where they were scoring for fun and it was disappointing to see how Rangers responded. But the first game at Anfield, that was as big a 2 nothing doing as you would ever see in any context. It really was. And, you know, and again, if it hadn't been for Alan McGregor performing like David Crockett at the Alamo, it, it, it would have been even worse. So, all in all, I, I, I think it's completely bizarre that, that, that Rangers got into the last game still with a, a, a slender of slender hopes that they might actually pull something out of this. But, all in all, I think this is one that, that could be consigned either to the history books or record books because it certainly will be if Rangers lose it again. No, I think you're absolutely right there, Stuart. And, um, I think um, on uh, consigning things to the record books, I think that's a good uh, way to end uh, our podcast tonight. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thanks very much for joining us. Just as a wee reminder, um, I believe tomorrow um, that the podcast will be available on all your usual platforms like iTunes, um, Spotify, etc., etc. Um, and just as a little reminder, guys, Rangers will not be the worst team in the Champions League group stage history if... Victoria Pilsen lose um, by two goals more than what Rangers lose by on Tuesday. So if Rangers get beat 1-0 and Victoria Pilsen get beat 3-0, we're not going to have that record. So on that happy note, thanks very much to um, Chris and Stuart for joining me. Um, we'll be back on Tuesday. Um, we're calling and Eck will have uh, their Ajax post-match reaction um, video. We're hopefully we're talking up a positive result for Rangers in the Champions League. But until next time, guys, bye for now and thanks for joining us on the Gelsnet podcast.